0: Welcome to Fresh Perspective, a podcast presented by Recycling Today. Fresh Perspective features young professionals in the scrap and recycling industry, offering insights from the next generation of industry leaders. Guests share their stories of what led them to the scrap industry and new ideas on industry trends. Tune in to hear stories from scrap processors, traders, operators, and more who are starting to lead in this space. Fresh Perspective is beginning an ongoing dialogue with future executives of the industry. Hi, my name is Megan Smalley, and I'm with Recycling Today magazine. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. I'm here today with Whitney Cox, who is the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program Manager for Portland, Oregon-based Schnitzer Steel Industries. Whitney is responsible for managing Schnitzer's diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, strengthening its culture, and designing processes that sustain the company's diverse workforce. Before this role, Whitney supported operations for the company as its Northwest Senior Regional Logistics Manager. She graduated from the University of Washington with a bachelor's degree in political science and international studies. So thanks for coming on the show today, Whitney. How are things going? Everything's going pretty good for me here. Thank you. Awesome. Now, Whitney, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the scrap industry? Where were you working before you came to Schnitzer?
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think I'll start on the personal side. So I am a mother of one. I have a daughter. Her name is Charlotte. She's three years old. Um, My husband and I have been married since 2015. We went to high school together. We're both from Washington, uh, have spent the majority of our our lives here. We just love the area. This is where all our family is, and we're both very family-focused, so that's been great. Uh, And as you said, I graduated from the University of Washington in 2010, and at the time, with my degrees in political science and international studies, I wanted to work for the government, and I was looking at some of the different jobs that might be available there, but there was a huge hiring freeze. Uh, Nobody was really hiring for the types of roles that I was interested in, so I continued on with my job in banking in hopes that something would come available uh, in the coming years, and and I could kind of transition I was doing a lot of traveling down South to visit family because again, I'm really family focused. And on one of those trips, I actually went to like a neighborhood barbecue that my mom was hosting. And I met someone from Schnitzer steel and we got to talking about, you know, what Schnitzer does and recycling and, the, just the idea of you know helping the community and the environment uh, through recycling efforts and keeping material out of landfills and and I just kind of fell in love with that you know it was similar to what I had wanted to do I was still you know working towards helping people but just in a different way uh, so I applied and that that was kind of the beginning for me I I started out in logistics I worked my way up from managing the rail and the barge contracts and doing contract carrier negotiations to a regional logistics position uh, as a manager and then a senior regional logistics manager position. And then within the last year our diversity equity and inclusion department. Uh, and I was thinking about this actually. I hit nine years with the company last week and I, I'm still loving it. I, I'm so happy with you know what we do. I'm still totally engaged with the idea of you know recycling and helping the environment.
0: Now, you went from banking to logistics in the scrap and recycling industry. What were your initial impressions of both Schnitzer Steel and of the scrap recycling industry? You know, sure, you had a conversation at a barbecue, but was it what you thought it would be?
1: So I will start that. Yeah, I... I you know, Schnitzer was technically my first job out of college. I was working full-time in banking and I'm sure many people are aware, you know, I was wearing a full suit every day. I had, you know, nylons if I wore a skirt. I had high heels. I mean, it was very professional, uh, very quiet, you know, laid back. You're you're inside all the time. So I wasn't really sure what to expect when I when I drove up to Schnitzer for the first time. And I don't know if anyone really understands what goes into recycling unless you're in the field or you do a lot of research. So I was surprised. I, I think that you know I, I drove up to this really big yard and i'm going over a couple of potholes because it's a working facility you know so there's heavy equipment and trucks running around it's not just a you know a fancy office uh and everything looked like chaos to me you know there were big trucks and bigger pieces of equipment and and these huge projection lines and and processing facilities, and I didn't understand how any of it integrated together. Uh, I I didn't understand, you know, the, what the end product was. You know, it doesn't look like metal necessarily when it comes out when we're processing everything for recycling. And so it was just kind of a big question mark to me, and I was I was taken off guard a little bit. But the more I learned about recycling and saw that big picture of how everything kind of works together from end to end. Uh, the more I saw how important it was and the ultimate objective of, of recycling, I I really understood, you know, what that meant, you know, I mean, Schnitzer has been around since 1906 and we have quite a few facilities. Uh, That's 116 years of recycling. And just last year alone, we recycled 4.7 million metric tons of metal. Uh, And that's just, you know, one year with one company. I mean, just the idea of all of that staying out of the landfills and being recycled and reprocessed is just, is huge. And so I, I just thought, you know, I drove up completely unprepared, not dressed correctly, didn't know what to do. I then went home after that first interview, did a ton of research trying to Google like what what did I just see today and, and figure out what everything was. Um and, and decided to give the job a shot. Uh and yeah, after learning more and understanding and you know, nine years later, it's you know, it looks different to me now. You know, I don't drive down the road next to those big trucks anymore and get scared because they're big. Like I understand how they work and how safe they are and what they're doing when they change lanes. So it's just, yeah, I'm a, I'm a different person.
0: So those early years at Schnitzer, what are some lessons that you learned? Um, and was there anything from your time before coming to the company that really helped you with your career as well?
1: I think there are two lessons that really come to mind for me. Uh, one of my first jobs when I was in college was at Starbucks. And my trainer, when I started, was really strict about how they taught me how to do my job at the time. And anytime I'd asked for assistance in making a drink or handling a customer issue or, or something on the till, uh, no matter how long the line was, the first thing they would say to me is, where can you look that up? It wasn't necessarily the answer I wanted, you know, and it could be frustrating because if you're busy, you, you want the quick fix sometimes. Uh, but it was it was the right answer. You know, it taught me how to research things for myself. And as I got older and continued through school and into other jobs, I realized that by teaching me to use the information and the resources available, rather than you know, me leaning on asking someone every time I had a question, I became a more skilled problem solver. And that is definitely something I was able to take into this job especially not fully understanding the industry. you know. I, it was more, I had good skills that would fit with the role but not necessarily the knowledge on what the role was. So there was a lot of learning at the front. Uh, and then I can't peg down you know, where I learned that second lesson, uh, but it is one I also oft, often use. Uh, and that's just that you don't get anything if you don't ask for it. And, and the worst someone can do is say no. So it can be hard to ask for things that you want or possibly need. But I really don't think I'd be here today if I didn't ask for help when I needed it or ask for training or ask for the tools. Uh, My first leap in the company, actually, I went from the regional logistics specialist to the regional logistics manager. And I had previous management experience in banking, uh, but not in this field. And I wanted the job, but I was really nervous with whether or not I was actually qualified and whether or not I could do it because it was just a big change. And I asked for training um, as as kind of a stipulation of taking on the role. Uh, and my manager at the time gave it to me and I still think I would have been successful if I hadn't had that, but I don't think I would have been as successful. I don't think the company would have been as successful with me in the first couple of years either, because, you know, I probably would have been fumbling around a lot more if I didn't have that training and that person to lean on and ask for advice from. Uh, so it really ended up being a win-win for both of us. And, uh, you know, we saw a quicker, quicker uptick in what I was able to do. So I, th- I think those are two big ones for me. And, and I think they're hard ones.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I think it, it is scary to ask for something that you don't know if you're going to be given it, but you have to at least ask. Now, so you went from working in logistics at Schnitzer to eventually now this last year, you've been in the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DE&I. Tell me a little bit about that leap from logistics to DE&I at Schnitzer Steel. And why did that position open up? And, you know, tell me a little bit about that role at Schnitzer.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, yep, I spent eight years in logistics with the company and I, I totally loved it. Uh, I actually wasn't necessarily looking for a switch. Uh, I was really happy where I was and what with what I was doing. But, but the DE&I role came available and it is a new role with the company it's actually a really big investment that the company's trying to make in their DE&I program. So now we have myself and then the the director of the program uh, that works on our projects here. And again, it was one of those situations where I felt like I maybe had some passion in the DE&I field. When the role first came available, I was, on the women at Shin, which is one of our employee resource groups, I was on the board for that group, and I was putting together a lot of projects. And you know, in my free time, I do a lot of training and work in the community. And, and so I, that passion of again helping people and and bringing people up was definitely there for me. But I didn't necessarily feel like I had the solid DE and I skills. <laughs> uh, and that it is such a uh, a hot topic department right now, and there are so many changes with what is and isn't write what you can and can't say. Uh daily that it can be a little daunting to think about trying to take that on and not make a mistake. But I was interested. So I applied. And and I think that actually my role in logistics is a big part of why I ended up getting this position and I think my experiences in that role actually led to my or leading to my success that I'm having so far with the company. Um so I I you know, I know we talked about logistics a little bit and I'd love to expand on that more. The uh, For Schnitzer, the regional logistics position includes managing the inbound and outbound freight moves. And that's everything via truck, rail or barge uh, for whatever region you cover. So I had a team of people that would report to me and we had dispatchers that handled our internal and external trucking needs. We had someone who handled rail, barge. You know, we monitored the the costs uh, of business. We monitored, you know, the equipment utilization. Uh, Our main goals were to move material safely, environmentally friendly, in an environmentally friendly manner and at a competitive cost, obviously, because it is a business. And I think, you know, many would agree with the last couple of years, the regulation changes around trucking, the low unemployment uh, and the other cost constraints, and then obviously the COVID pandemic, that that has made it difficult for, for people to succeed in every area and to have What they need to move forward, not just with trucking, um, but, but that was impacted trucking and and logistics in general was impacted heavily. Uh, And my team worked really hard and had to think outside the box for different ways that we could actually accomplish our goals. Uh, So we would think about, you know, can we get larger equipment to help decrease freight? Can we review the shipping lanes and see if there's ways we can, you know bring different loads together again so we're moving more for less uh, yeah, are there different ways we can revamp the responsibility of the people in the team so we're streamlining some of the work and getting more done so we put a lot of thought into what we could do to be more efficient um and that you know thinking on your feet promoting change those are things that i enjoy doing and those are skills i think that really tie into the de department and this new role as a de program manager And I think, you know, when you talk about what the day to day includes, it's still changing. I think it's going to probably, in this type of role, it's changing constantly and it probably will for quite some time because it's really dependent on what our employees uh, want, what is happening in the world. You know, there is more of a a look at the political, there's more of a look at the changing culture and how that impacts employees. Uh, But for now, you know, I really focus on our employee resource groups. We currently have six of them. I spend a lot of time working with our different regional directors. A lot of our regions have goals around diversity, equity, and inclusion or programs that they're trying to roll out. So I spend a lot of time with those people uh, assisting or helping build out programs for their teams. Uh, we have you know, this annual company training that we're rolling out around culture topics now. And so I, I'm building those and helping roll out those trainings through the company. Um, and then we have some external focus areas. So we participate in various different groups to stay up, up to date on what's going on in the DE&I space. And so I participate in those events, go to those conferences. You know, there's just, there's just a little bit, it's a little different every single day, but ultimately I think at the end of the day, my focus is spending time on things that can increase our employee engagement and make Schnitzer a place where more people want to work.
0: So Whitney, in recent years, de i has become pretty important for businesses making sure you have diverse workforce and considering DE&I in the communities in which company works as well how long has DE&I been a department at Schnitzer like you took the role well back in September of last year but I'm sure it's you know been talked about since before then so could you talk about how that department has grown and
1: changed yeah, definitely. So Schnitzer actually uh, started their formal department in 2018. Uh, but the concept of the program was initiated by our president and CEO, Tamara Lundgren, in 2017. Although DEI and i has been a priority within our company for a long time, that was, that was when she actually asked our vice president of HR and now chief diversity and inclusion officer, Seth Murray, to engage with experts and, and look outside of our industry to see what other people were doing. Um, and so Steph spent quite a bit of time doing that research. Uh, she brought on someone to kind of assist the company and put together a formal proposal on how we could roll out a DEI program that went through our senior leadership team and then was launched in in 2018. Uh, And since our launch, we've worked to accomplish, we have three main goals that we kind of promote as part of our department. Uh, The first is to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace to support a workforce that reflects the demographic of our communities. The second is to foster a culture rooted in pride for our important work. And then the third is to sustain fair procedures and practices for everyone. So with that, you know, and as a way to kind of, to reach those goals, we have become signatories with CEO Action, which is the largest CEO driven business commitment to advance diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Uh, and they've been great. I mean, there are so many tools made available when you're a signatory with that group. There are so many you know meetings and task force, task forces, excuse me, that you can be a part of Uh, to kind of just get content available to you. Uh, so that helped us in a big way. And we've been we've been able to make a big change through just that step of becoming signatories. Uh, We also rolled out foundational training. Uh, So the first training we did was unconscious bias. uh, And that was the first year we started, we had a, a little bit of a hiccup with COVID and people working from home and just the changes in business and shared workspaces. And so we missed a year there. But our second training was on equity versus equality and what the difference was for our workforce. And now we're planning on continuing a yearly training that covers different topics for our team. And those are also required trainings for any new hires that we bring on. So we can make sure that anyone coming into the company is starting out with the same base knowledge and expectations as our existing employees. Uh, And then we also have supported initiation of employee resource groups that are employee-led and driven. In our first year, we had one group. We actually started with our veterans ERG. And since then, we're now actually up to six groups. So we have the veterans group, a pride group, Hispanic Employee Resource Group, we have our Black Employee Network, Women at Shin, and then we have a group called Build, which is building up individuals' lives daily, and they focus on, you know, helping the communities. They do a lot of talks about um, not only promoting personal well-being, but, you know, that of your families. so talking about, you know, kids during COVID and how has that impacted your families, and we're providing, you know, psychological talks on that, so you can kind of take some tools back home. And with those ERGs, they have set goals and projects for every year. So it may be, again, we, educational piece, and there may be a push on having certain topics discussed for, for the year and that material being made available for all members as well as allies in the company. So people are, are learning uh, what different groups maybe feel are focus areas that should be discussed. And then we also have actual projects that will hopefully make changes or have a bigger impact on the company. Uh, so an example would be our, our women at shin group actually had a whole speaker series and it was called thriving through the second shift. And so the idea was women historically, uh, do more at home than their male counterparts. And and that's called the second shift. Uh, and with COVID the lines had been, had been blurred between, you know, what was your work day and what was your home day in many cases, because some people were working from home or there was a change in when people were available to be at home. And so it was, how can you, you know, the whole, the whole speaker event was how can you continue to thrive now that that has been kind of turned upside down and what are some you know you know tricks of the trade or tools that you can implement to make a change and another would be our, our pride employee resource group actually rolled out a gender identification and education campaign where they talked about gender and pronouns and, and how, you know, to identify pronouns. And, you know, it even had little sheets on how can you go into Outlook and actually change your pronouns. Uh, so if people wanted to do that, they they could, and it would be made available. Uh, so those are a couple examples of what those groups do. Um, this year, we've done a lot more, but that hasn't been posted yet. So I can't talk about it. But yeah, we, again, I feel like every year we're ramping up and just trying to do more that helps everybody. Yeah. I love hearing about all these, the different ERGs and
0: different initiatives that Schnitzer is taking on—definitely exciting. Now, your role—it's—it's it's new to the company in the last year or two, and I'm sure other scrap companies, not too many, have employed this just yet. They might be talking about DEI, but might not have a role for it. So, I'm sure they want to know what do you do on a day-to-day basis for your role. What does that look like? So, other companies can maybe model that if they want to add something like that?
1: So, I mean, on the day-to-day, you know, I, again, all of our employee resource groups are employee-led and driven. So I don't actually manage them, but there is an outline that we provide when people want to, employees want to set up employee resource groups and the employee resource group has to identify and, you know, follow the company overarching objectives. Uh, But once a group is created, I do sit in on all of the meetings that they have. And if there are different uh, objectives that the group has that they feel like they need some additional support pushing. I, I help with that. So that that's where I come in and can kind of get more executive view of what's going on uh, can push maybe, you know, say we have a study going on with our Hispanic employee resource group uh, on, on translating services or something like that. You know, once we get to the point where we feel like we found a tool that would be great for someone to use or a change that should be made, I can then get the other, uh necessary people involved that would be able to approve the spend that is going to be included in that or help with a policy change if that's what the direction we were going depending on the focus area. So that's takes up quite a bit of my time um, supporting in that area. We also use our employee resource groups as leadership tools. Uh, you know, we we don't necessarily expect someone to come in and lead an employee resource group that's you know, the vice president of something in our company, we have employees that are wanting to push a lot of these initiatives. So I try to spend time with those groups, kind of educating, you know, and and helping people become leaders through their work in the group that we have. Uh, So that also, you know, I make sure I have kind of an open door policy and I'm available for that piece of the business. And then uh, I come from operations. And so I think I've very much operationalized some, you know, quote-unquote HR functions, uh, but I have a yearly calendar and I, I have stuff rolled out for the entire year when it comes to not just what our employee resource groups are going to do, but, you know, what other objectives do we have that are company objectives and when are they going to land and how far in advance do I need to start preparing for this and, um you know, should I have other meetings to get buy-in on topics? Because again, you know, it's not everything that I want to push out is necessarily mandatory to start. A lot of what we're doing is piloting different types of programs or different tools or different opportunities that could make an impact. Uh, so making sure that what I'm trying to do is aligned with what all of our directors are trying to do is is ultimately my my main goal, because when it comes time to trying to actually make that impact I I need to have the buy-in so I spend a lot of time you know I I calendar a lot of that out I color coordinate my notes so I'm very organized in in that fashion Uh, and then I spend a lot of time meeting with people to discuss what some of these changes are going to be and then obviously with COVID there was not a lot of travel but that'll be a part of my my schedule as well you know traveling around to see some of our sites you know we we have people on the ground pretty much everywhere but there's you always get a little bit of a different story when you have something remote and you're talking over the phone or talking over a Zoom call, and you're actually sitting with someone in person and, and going out to lunch. So I, you know, I'm building into my, my my work and my day to day is is really, you know, I built in going to see people so we can really make sure that, you know, we're getting the full story and and again we're making the change that we need for our, for our company.
0: So Whitney, tell me a little bit more about the ERGs at Schnitzer, you know. And Schnitzer is a pretty large company, so you know employee resource groups having more employees, it's easier to apply that. But how can smaller scrap companies, you know, have something like employee resource groups? What advice would you give them on building a DEI program if they can't necessarily do a employee resource group because they only have twelve employees or something like that?
1: And that is hard for for smaller companies that don't necessarily have enough people that you could, you know, that you want to, or even maybe need to have a group like that. Uh, I, I would say you look at it in a different way. I, I think it's more, what is your, your workspace look like? So that's one thing that when you're talking about wanting inclusion in the workspace, so say you have 12 employees and you have a conference room that only seats eight people at the table, you know, you've got a problem. Uh, you know, by inherently having that option of eight people sitting at a table and, people sitting around the periphery of the room, you you're now excluding people and setting up like a second tier system. So, so maybe you don't worry about setting up an employee resource group, but you look at what do your meeting spaces look like? When are your meetings being held? What are your, uh, your team building functions? Is it always going out to drink? And you have someone who maybe doesn't want to drink, Are they always after work and you have a, a single mom who has to pick up her kids and can't participate. Uh, so I think it's, it's more looking at your team engagement actions at that point and how can you tweak those for them to be more inclusive and is that even just sending out an anonymous survey like what would you like to do and and getting feedback from your people for what they might want versus what you want because I will say we have this shift where we have people who have been in the industry for you know 20 plus years and then we have a lot of newer younger generations coming into the industry and what we used to do that was inclusive and people liked uh, or maybe was popular with the, the people we had coming into the industry at that time isn't necessarily the case anymore. Um, so I would say you, you want to focus on that. And then I also think you focus on um, just the recruiting and training pieces because those don't necessarily take a lot of manpower once you get them up and running and they don't necessarily pull a lot of people off of, off of the floor. So Steph Murray actually, and I think she said this in a different interview, but this is something something she kind of lives by is, you know, be patient and strategic. So you want to develop a plan and then break it down into manageable tasks. I think what that task is for each business is gonna be, it's going to be different. So maybe you need to focus on who you're recruiting and that's because, you know, you see that need for more people coming in and someone's not applying for your jobs. Uh, So look at your resumes, you know, is there a 50 pound, you know, lifting limit on a job that you don't need to lift 50 pounds or does something say you have to have a college degree and you don't, I I think you can review those things. Uh, And then where are you, uh, you know, Recruiting people from are are you posting in one place? Are there different sites that you could post for that could bring your job, you know, you bring visibility to your job to just a completely different subset of people? And then training, you know, explore opportunities to provide some training for your team. I think, you know, we have, again, a lot of people who have been here for a long time and our industry is so old in many cases, we're kind of set with how we do things, but then you have a younger potentially generation coming in or more diverse people applying for jobs. Um, And we want to make sure that, you know, our existing force is being trained on what the expectations are now. So the world is ever changing and that the new people come in, in a place where they're comfortable and, you know, we don't want to leave anyone behind. So it's start where you are, train your people, you know, and then maybe look at your job descriptions on how to bring people in. And then I would also say, you know, don't look at the big companies around you and the programs that they have and think that that's what you have to be. You know, I I think DE&I is different for everybody. You know, it's different depending on where your your business is, is located and what the diversity of of that population is, it's, it's dependent on the size of your business and to your point, whether or not you even have the amount of people where you could roll out an ERG and do you need an ERG at that point, if you're that small, or can you just do more team building events? Um, So it's, there's no right way. I, I think you need to kind of make it right for you.
0: Yeah. Now I think you offered some really great takeaways on hiring there for sure. And hiring is challenging for many companies right now, not just in the scrap industry, Um, you offered some great ideas on building a more diverse workforce. I think, do you have any other tips or takeaways for scrap companies on hiring and recruiting? Like also just thinking nine years ago, what got you to stay in the industry? What might be helpful for companies to consider on that front?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one, what got me to stay was my management. I, I've had multiple managers through the years and, and every time it was someone that I really respected, you know, we had a good rapport. Again, I I would maybe ask for help in some areas and they would try to find a way to make it happen. It may not be the way I needed it or wanted it or asked for it, but it, but it would happen. You know, they would come to the table with something to kind of work with me and, and help me better do my job and help me, me grow in the company. So that, that is a huge part. Management is a huge, huge part of a company. It's a huge part of why people leave a company or stay at a company. Um, in many cases, you know, your frontline supervisor is the only person your employee is ever going to see. So, so I think it's important that 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 leader has the training to back them when we're changing the culture of our company. So, so I would say again, I'm going to push on training a little bit there, but in a different way. You know, training your leaders so that they're ready for the changes that you're making as people come into the in the front doors that maybe are a different subsect of people or a different you know more diverse group of people than we've had in the past and then i think you know there's some low hanging fruit that a lot of us you know might be missing when it comes to getting people in our door and getting people to apply for our jobs and that's you know how inclusive is the language in your job descriptions does everything say he and can you make it a they um so so women would feel more inclined to apply um again the job requirements i can't stress that enough you know we just did a big review of our our job descriptions and there were so many of them that we have requirements that weren't necessarily requirements that could exclude a huge population of people uh, from even wanting to apply for the job. And then exploring ways that you can incorporate multicultural considerations. So, you know, languages, are you able to bring in people who maybe aren't fluent in English? Do you have someone who could translate a service that you could utilize documents in Spanish? So when you you know, or another language, so if you bring someone on um, that speaks that language, they have the tools to be successful and they feel comfortable there. So they don't then leave because they feel like they can't do their job. Um, I think those are a couple of key areas.
0: Now, in addition to hiring challenges, a lot of scrap companies are facing issues related to logistics, and that's been the case for a couple of years now. And having worked in logistics at Schnitzer for the first part of your career there, how has the company been facing and addressing
1: logistics-related challenges? So we, I know logistics has just been a nightmare and I'm not in the role anymore, but I, I just look at the news and I'm reading these articles and I feel so bad for you know the team I have that's still working through these challenges. It seems never ending, unfortunately. Uh, i th- I think I have still been trying to support in the sense that one of the issues is bringing in drivers for a, you know for a, a competitive rate you know and and having them actually available and want to stay with your company I think we've all seen that the wages for drivers and the higher the high sign-on bonuses have just been outrageous and they keep bouncing back and forth and going higher and higher um and so I think that's where having a good culture comes into play you know you can't always be the one that pays the most and in some cases, you can't pay what is maybe needed and actually move material uh, at a competitive rate. So it's what other resources do you have available? What benefits do you have? What other activities do you do to help that person feel engaged and want to be at your workplace? You Do you go to weekly breakfasts together? Do you, you know, provide uniforms? Do you uh, give them different tools to do their job that aren't necessarily required but are are beneficial and are like the fringe benefits of, of the day-to-day work uh, and that's where I think a lot of our focus has been is how can we make those changes and entice more people to want to come and stay with us and then again I think it's equipment you know we run heavy loads because metals heavy and we run you know various types of equipment because you know the, the metal can be different sizes and so we need really um, skilled drivers that have a lot of different types of experiences and with, you know, the amount of you know, container loads that are available out there, that's not necessarily a job that someone wants. So I think you need to, you know, also you know, look at how you're, how, how you're selling the job, how you're going out there and talking to people about what, what you're wanting them to do and, and find the benefits and what you're asking, because it is hard work. They are going to have to pull chains. They're going to have to drop down loads but do they get to come home every night? Yeah, that's a huge benefit. Are they gonna stay local or are, are they driving over passes or, you know, mountainous areas where it could be more dangerous for them potentially. So so I think you need to kind of look at your job in that case as well and see, you know, we're not waiting for people to apply and looking at the 20 resumes and picking out one anymore. You know, we're having to actively try to bring people to the table. Um, so we need to look at how we're selling it a little bit and, and really push the benefits for people to see what what we have that we're
0: offering. Now, Whitney, as a final question here, I want to go back to the diversity issue. And we talked a lot on how Schnitzer is addressing it and a little bit about what smaller companies can do related to this. But you know, based on research you've done and the company has done, how would you say has the scrap industry done related to DEI? How would you grade it? And then how has it improved over the last few years and what needs the most improvement?
1: Yeah, so I mean. I think just like many other industries, 2022 and the social justice movements that happened during that time really heightened emphasis for a need for a dei program, for goals, for activities that, that companies can, can push out uh, to try to make an impact. Uh, and Schnitzer, you know, because we're leading the way in that space, we actually have had quite a few industry leaders Um come to us and ask us to give talks on what we did to kind of create our program. So, I mean, internally, Northeast Recycling Council asked us to um, ask our CEO, Tamara, and uh, Steph to come and provide a talk to them on, on how we rolled out our DEI program, why we did it, what the thoughts were behind it. Uh, we've done various interviews, you know, with publications such as yourself on diversity and, and why it's important. And then we've even gone to the school level. So um, we did a talk at Penn State with their engineering program. There were all of these extra courses made available for students to get credits around the DE&I space and, and ethics and equity. And we we led one of those talks for the students and just talked about what to expect when you go into the business world and what, what companies are trying to work on. Uh, so I, I think there are a lot of free things out there, but that people can listen in on to, to get kind of ahead there. And there are a lot of, of needs. I mean, I think we're, we're turning away some, you know, just as many as we're saying yes, when it comes to what we're talking about. And I mean, ISRI just had their conference uh, a little while ago, and they had a whole section on diversity and recycling. And it sounds like the focus area for a lot of businesses is increasing uh, goals and targets for DE&I. So to start, it was creating DE&I departments or D&I departments because not everyone has equity in uh, in their department head. Uh, and now it's to the point of, okay, we have departments and we're looking at this, but let's try to set some goals around what we want to accomplish with this department. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that is probably the way that a lot of us need to go because again, I depending on the region you're in, you know, depends on maybe what your focus area needs to be. I don't know if there's just one thing. And then there also have been discussions about, you know, Programs becoming more robust. So, maybe not just being diversity and inclusion, but all adding that equity piece. And I, I read a really interesting definition actually of diversity and inclusion in Forbes. And it went something like diversity is a fact, but inclusion is an act. Uh, diversity benefits no one unless we can unleash its power through inclusion. Uh, and I think that's so true. And, and the add on with equity would be that, you know, and equity is ensuring that everyone that is being included has equal footing uh, to share their ideas. So um, it's great to say that you're, you're rolling out programs and you're, you're hiring more diverse people, but if, if you're not including them and allowing them to actually make an impact on your business uh, and then going further and saying, oh, you know, for example, you know, this person has hearing problems, so we're going to make sure that they have the tools necessary to hear what's going on in our conversations so they can be a part of it. Or, or again, we're going to let everyone sit at the actual table so they feel included to share their thoughts. Or, you know, we have some people who, you know, have sight problems. So we're going to print out sheets of what we're discussing on the PowerPoint at the end of the room and let them have it so they can read it, so they can be a part of the conversation. I, I think, you know, doing those things is making sure then that you're actually going to get the impact of the, of the programs you're putting in place. And, and I think that's I think that's where we are now. And I, and I think that's fantastic. I think that's a good place to be with, with where we are in the world.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been
1: great talking to you, Whitney, and I really
0: appreciate the insights that you've shared. Yeah, it's been really
1: great talking with you as well. Um, It's been really fun chatting about this with someone.